Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We come to Jesus just like we are. Lord, I'm in a mess. He's not saying, you go clean up your mess and then you come back. When you get that sorted out, you come back and then we'll talk. He says, no, you just come to me with the mess, give it to me, and I'll take care of it. And I'll work these other things out. That's the reality. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, in a message titled, The Benediction. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we come back one last time to Hebrews and to the benediction. The word benediction is a word that means actually good words. And and that's what these are. The author, as he finishes up the epistle, he finishes up with these good words. And so the writer, in his final words here, he says, now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, Let's stop right there for a moment. Now, he refers here to God as the God of peace. And if we remember the context of the entire letter, I think we see the connection. Because this has been a hard letter to write. And the author even mentioned that. It's a word of exhortation. It's a word of rebuke in many ways. And it's a letter of course, that was written, as we've seen many times before, to people who had put their trust in Christ but were now wavering in their commitment. And they were even considering uh, turning back to Judaism. And so throughout the letter, there are these strong warnings against that. And there's the reminder that God is also a God who judges. He's also a God of wrath. But that's really not his, his heart, if you will. You know, even amongst people today, a lot of times when you, when you talk about God, they think in terms of a wrathful God. They think in terms of a God who, who wants to judge. Many people in our culture today are very troubled by Christianity itself because of this element, because of the fact that Christianity talks about a God who will one day judge sin. And he had mentioned that several times over in the letter. He spoke of the possibility of them falling into the hands of the living God, which was an unpleasant picture as he painted. He talked about our God being a a consuming fire, He talked about uh, how under the law of Moses, people died without mercy. How much worse will the punishment be for those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot? So he's presented, in, in many ways, he's presented that side of God, that judgment side, that wrath side. But as we come to the benediction here, he brings it back around to speaking of God as the God of peace. 
And you know, the reality is, although God does judge, although he will pour out his wrath, that's not what he primarily desires to do. When we think of God, we should not think of him first in the sense of judgment. We should think of him first in the sense of mercy and grace, because that's really his heart. As a matter of fact, in the prophets, when God speaks of judgment, he refers to it as his strange work. You see, God does not want to judge people. God does not want to pour out his wrath upon people. God desires people to turn to him and receive his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness so they don't have to experience his wrath. So he's bringing them back around. Even though he's given these severe warnings, he's bringing them back around to see, no, the, the heart of God is a heart of peace toward us. It's important that we have the right understanding of God. So much of the trouble that we experience as believers is due to our, our wrong perception of God. So now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, he's the God of peace, but secondly, we could say he's the God of power. And the power is referred to here when he talks about the raising of Jesus from the dead. You know, if you want to talk about God's power, you can talk about creation because that's certainly a demonstration of God's power. He creates everything from nothing. He brings the whole universe into existence by simply a, a spoken word. Uh, that is a demonstration of power. But when it comes to the New Testament, when the New Testament speaks of the power of God and wants to emphasize the power of God, you know what it points to? Not creation necessarily, but it points more frequently to the resurrection of Jesus. That is the place where God demonstrated his power in raising Christ from the dead. Remember, Jesus died in our place. He died for our sin, and sin had kept everyone in the grave up until this point but Jesus broke the power of sin as God raised him from the dead. And that was a great demonstration of God's power. So now may the God of peace, may the God of power, we could say. But then he refers now to Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. That great shepherd of the sheep. And I think in this, what we're being reminded of is that he is also a God of tender mercy and compassion and care, because that's what the picture of the shepherd is in scripture. Whenever we have references to God as, as the shepherd, it's always seeking to communicate to us the tender mercy of God or the compassion of God or the concern of God uh, for the well-being of his people. And I love this reference to Jesus here. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Back in Genesis chapter 49, that's the first time that God is referred to as a shepherd. But then the classic passage, of course, is the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And David so beautifully paints that picture there of how God shepherds us and watches over us. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus says about himself, you remember in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And now here, the writer to the Hebrews refers to him as the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep and his primary concern, his great uh, occupation, if you will, is to make sure his sheep are taken care of. 
to make sure that we are watched over, that we are protected, that we are provided for, that we are guided and led in the, the right way. So you see, as he closes the epistle, he wants, I think, just to bring everything back into perspective because he's been warning them, but now he wants to remind them, listen, all of these harsh and severe warnings, they're due to the fact that you're considering moving away from the great shepherd of the sheep. Don't do that because he is the great shepherd. Don't move away from the God of power who raised Jesus from the dead. Don't move away from the God of peace, but abide there, remain there. But then from there, he moves into speaking of the covenant. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work. Now, it's interesting if you take this and just you know, break down what he's saying here. He brings them back around to the covenant. Now, much of the epistle has been dedicated to speaking about the contrast between these two covenants. There's the Levitical covenant, the covenant that Moses received and gave to the nation, the one that was a covenant of fear, one that was largely contingent upon their obedience to it, their ability to to perform. And then there's the new covenant. And he's spoken much about the new covenant in the epistle. And that's the covenant that he's referring to here now. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, the new covenant is not contingent upon our ability. The new the new covenant is totally dependent upon what Christ did. And so it's through the blood of the, notice it's the everlasting covenant. It's a covenant never to be altered. It's a covenant never to be broken. It's a covenant never to be done away with. It's a permanent covenant. And it's that covenant that we have entered into through our faith in Jesus. And so notice what he's saying though. He's saying, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. You see, what they had forgotten and what we sometimes forget as well is that this new covenant is about what God has done and what God will do in our lives because of his faithfulness. And when he refers here to the covenant, he's really making a reference to the faithfulness of God. And again, in its original context, he's reminding them, look, God is faithful. He made a covenant with your fathers. They didn't keep the covenant. They broke the covenant. He made a new covenant. And that's the covenant that we've entered into. And God is faithful in keeping his covenant. So he's going to complete what he started. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. That's really the message of this benediction. The benediction is really just a reminder of the fact that God is faithful. He started a work. He's going to finish what he started. Remember, he told us earlier that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And this is the message of the New Testament. You know, the message of the New Testament is unlike any other 
message that you will find in any other religious system. There's nothing like it. And when you hear people today say things like, well, you know, all religions are alike and all religions basically teach the same thing. Well, you know, that is true to some extent with one exception. You can't say that about the teaching of the New Testament. You can't say that about true biblical Christianity because although all the other religions do teach basically the same thing in the sense that you approach God and obtain God's favor in the same way, that's through being a good person, being the best person you can, following the particular rules depending on the religion. That's what all religions do teach. Christianity does not teach that. Do we realize that? Christianity does not teach it. It's a completely different message. The gospel is that it's God who is going to make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful thing. So when you look at this passage, when you really consider what it's saying, what it's essentially saying is that the good works, all of those things that God certainly wants to work into our lives, they come through Jesus Christ. They're worked in us through Christ. They're not me trying to you know, grasp them, trying to attain a standard of goodness or righteous living. They're Christ working out those things in me because he dwells in me. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. You see, Christ is in us. And that's what the, the passage is reminding us of, that he is dwelling in us. That's how it is that God's going to work these things in us through Jesus Christ. It's through the presence of Christ in our life. And as we simply give ourselves over to him, yielding to him, surrendering to him, just Lord, I want to be those things that you desire me to be in the days ahead. And as we are sincere about that, and as we dedicate ourselves to that, that's how everything is going to come to pass. You know, I was talking to a lady this morning after one of the services, and she was, you know, she was just saying, I, everything you were saying today, I, you know, I want to do that, but I got all this other stuff, and I got to, I said, well, I said, wait a second. Now, so are you telling me that you need to first go clean up all of this mess over here. And then when you get that sorted out, you're going to come to God and say, okay, okay, now God, here I am. I'm ready now for you to do this thing in my life. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're thinking? And she kind of looked at me like, oh, maybe that's what I'm saying. And I said, well, listen, that's not the way it works. That's what we think so often, but that's not the way it works. How does it work? We come to Jesus just like we are. Lord, I'm in a mess. He's not saying, you go clean up your mess, and then you come back. And when you get that sorted out, you come back, and then we'll talk. He says, no, you just come to me with the mess. Give it to me, and I'll take care of it. And I'll work these other things out. That's the reality. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You know, so often I feel like as Christians, we are constantly living under this pressure or this sort of this sense of anxiety where we, we just constantly feel like we're failing God. We're feeling like we can never get to the place where we're actually pleasing him. So we live with this constant anxiety. We live with this constant fear. This passage 
doesn't give that impression at all. This, these are good words. They're, good, they're words of blessing. They're reminding us that it's God who's doing these things in us. And I do not believe for a moment that God wants us to be living our lives as his people, filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with expectation that there's some judgment that's just around the corner because I am such a bad Christian. That's not the picture that we get from the scripture. We get from the scripture, now may the God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you, the one who's committed totally to making sure that you are spiritually taken care of. May that God, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, do that. You see, that's the whole thing. It's God working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so as we think about this blessing in relation to the future, I want you to remember that he that has begun a good work in you is going to complete it. And I want you to think in terms of, yes, we want to, I, I want to, I want to grow in the Lord. I want to be more faithfully a person who is committed to God's word. I want to pray more. I want to serve the Lord more effectively. I want to be a better brother and sister, or I'll be the brother. Um, I, I, I want to be a better brother to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I want to be more effective in sharing the gospel with people. I want to do all those things. But I know that that's going to happen not by me putting a list on my refrigerator and every morning saying, okay, I got to go out and do these things. No, I know it's going to happen as I just give myself over to the Lord. As I just make him the priority, Jesus, I want you. I want more of you. And of course, the way I'm going to get more of him is by spending time with him. And I spend time with him by meditating on his word. I spend time with him by communicating in prayer. I spend time with him by gathering with the saints for times of worship. I spend time with him just in the privacy of my own heart and mind and all that. But you see, here's the thing. As we do that, as Christ is settling down in our hearts. As Paul said to the Ephesians, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. As that's happening, all of these other things are going to proceed from our lives as the natural outflow of what's going on. And that's the picture that he's painting right here. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. God is faithful. That's what he's saying. To make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Isn't that beautiful news? God is going to work in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. And how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through Jesus Christ, through the indwelling presence of Christ. So Christ is there. If you've received Christ today, he's indwelling your life. And as you just give yourself over to him, 
Again, as I was talking to the woman, I was, I was just telling her, look, this is not anything you have to wait for or you don't have to go somewhere. It's a transaction that happens. It just happens like right now. It's a supernatural transaction that takes place. It's just you saying, Lord, here I am. I, I'm, I'm freshly surrendering. My, I'm giving myself a fresh to you. That, that's it. In sincerity, of course. And as you mean that, God takes you up on that. And he does that work in our hearts. And because he dwells in us, we are prompted by the Spirit toward the things that are going to please him. And so, again, our job is really just to respond to the promptings. We're prompted through the word. The word, we read it, it speaks to us. We, it speaks to us in a way we, we sense that, man, God's speaking to me through this. I respond to it. The Holy Spirit prompts me in certain things to forgive, to reach out in love, to be patient, to be compassionate, to be a servant, you know, those things. But it's the Spirit that's doing that. And, and I, my place is, I'm just responding to that. And that's the picture that he's painting. And all to the end that Jesus Christ would be glorified forever and ever. You see, that's the beautiful thing. As we give ourselves to the Lord, he works in us in such a way that he gets the glory. He gets the glory. People look at, and even if they don't agree, even if they think, I, you know, I don't believe that, that Christian stuff. Somebody was telling me earlier that they had been sharing with a friend and, and the friend, you know, didn't, wasn't really interested in Christian because it was, it was non-scientific. You know, Christianity's against science. Of course, that's not true, but uh, that was the, the perception of the person. But the reality of seeing what God has done in the lives of people, that outweighed the other consideration. And that's what happens. You see, as we are filled with the, the Spirit of Christ, and as we're walking in the Spirit, and as Jesus is guiding us and he's living his life through us, people are drawn to that and he is glorified. And that's, in the end, what it's really all about. It's all about him receiving the glory forever and ever. That's what our lives are to be about, glorifying Christ. And so we're passing from one year into another. And maybe you look back over the past year and you think, you know, I failed so many times. I didn't really live up to my expectations. But you know, the good news is that we can forget the things that are behind and look to the things that are ahead. Whatever our successes or failures, we just look back and say, you know what? It's, it's gone. It's over. It's past. I can't change it. But I've got a new day and I've got the grace of God and the God of peace and power and love and mercy and compassion. He's with me and Christ indwells me. So Lord, here I am. I'm just yielding myself to you. You say that, you mean that, and guess what? God will do it. He will do it because he's faithful. 
And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. One of my favorite newer authors is Rebecca McLaughlin. She wrote the book Confronting Christianity a few years back, which was the book of the year at the time. And she's done a new book called Confronting Jesus. And in it, she is looking at nine encounters that people had with Jesus and answering really important questions that people are asking today. So I can't recommend Rebecca enough. She just does an excellent job. And I know you're going to appreciate this book, Confronting Jesus, by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Jesus by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Jesus by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we begin a new series titled, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.